great to be with you today again, Gate Church family, and all of you that may be joining us. Wherever you're joining us from, would you right now make sure you go on the chat line and tell us what city you're coming from or maybe what part of the world you're coming from because we're delighted. We've been blessed to have people from all over the world be a part of our uh, Gate Church services here the last several weeks. Well, we're, we're in week number eight of our quarantine here, and it's been an amazing time. I want to say something to our church family. First of all, you guys have been absolutely incredible. I want you to know, I believe, personally, I believe, that I probably pastor the greatest church in America, if not one of the great churches of the world. And that's because you have been very consistent. I realize for some of you going to church online, this has been a brand new experience for you, but I want to thank you for being faithful, consistent, hanging in there week after week and continuing to receive. Thank you for sending me. I get emails. I get text messages on Facebook. I get messages of people who talk about how God is encouraging them, edifying them, and continuing to lift them up during this time. So thank you so much. Let me tell you a couple of things that are coming up. I know you may have heard about them already in our previous announcements, but let me tell you about them one more time. Next Sunday is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I realize a lot of people may be traveling if they can somewhere, but a lot of people won't be. And I'm going to encourage you, no matter where you are, the one great thing about doing church this way is that wherever you go, you're going to be able to be in church next Sunday morning. We're also asking a lot of our connection groups, our unhindered groups, if they'll host uh, watch parties. We can have people of 10 or 12 together in a home now. So we're asking them to possibly host a watch party. Everybody come to my house and let's watch it together. Maybe you, maybe you've never been in a part of an unhindered group, but you've got some friends. You say, I'd like for them to be a part of watching a service at the Gate Church. Why don't I invite them next Sunday to join with all of our watch parties and be a part uh, of what's happening here on Memorial Day weekend. And then May 31, just say that right where you are, May 31. On May 31, we're coming back onto the property and back to our building as for church. We'll be giving you more instructions about that. We're trying to finalize how many people we can get in per service. And when we know that for sure, we're going to put it right out to you so that you can be a part and sign up. I'm beginning a series of messages today that I, it's going to take me several weeks to walk through the things that I want to share with you. And we're titling this series of messages, Live Pentecost. Live Pentecost. And the reason is, is because we're engaged in a season of reentry. We're coming back into a new season, a new way of life. And I just felt the urgency of the Holy Spirit speaking to me that we needed to, we needed to tap into the need that people may have for a fresh outpouring, a fresh uh, renewal that takes place in their personal life. I realize that people have been quarantined, shut up, out of routine, disoriented. And I just believe there is a a real outpouring of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> that's going to accompany this season and this time. Uh, you know, it's easy to breeze by certain dates on the calendar. Some of you may not even realize that May 31st, the day we actually come back to the building, is Pentecost Sunday. And it's easy to go by all these dates. We have Christmas, we have Easter. We think, well, these are just national holidays. But really, long before they were national holidays, they were holy days. They were days of significance that always have been a part of the, of the journey of the people of faith. For example, Christmas is about the incarnation, the Word becoming flesh. It's about good news of great joy to all people. Easter is about the power of the resurrection, the broken, the broken chains of death are being broken off of our life. We actually have the power of a new life. 
And Pentecost is one that I'm going to begin to talk about over the next several weeks. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the Old Testament type of how it became into being, but I'm going to give you some very practical things about how to walk it out. Because here's why. It's not enough for us to celebrate a holiday. We need to experience the power and the reality of what that date on the calendar actually meant and continues to mean to the people of God. It would be terrible if the only time we thought about the incarnate Christ and the good news of great joy was on December 25th. That's an everyday practical way of living. It would be, I would be weakened as a Christian if I only thought about Easter in the springtime when I realized that the resurrected Christ is resurrecting me every day of my life. He's lifting me out of things that try to engulf me and hold me in death. Well, Pentecost is, is introduced to us in the New Testament, primarily in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. If you have your Bible, your device, whatever it is you're reading on, grab it. Make sure you've got a notepad because I'm going to go through some stuff really quickly and you're going to want to take some notes. First of all, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8 makes this statement. Luke is the writer of the book of Acts and he's talking about the last days before Jesus ascended back into heaven. And he makes the statement in, in Acts 1, verse number 8. He says, but you shall receive power. Say that with me but you shall receive power. Say it again. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What he was talking about when the day of Pentecost had fully come, Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, he was forecasting that in just a few days, actually 10 days, there was going to be a descending of the Holy Spirit onto the disciples' lives, and it would be the launch of the church. Let me tell you a few things about that. Pentecost. You say, well, I thought Pentecost was a denomination. I thought Pentecost was those weird people down at the end of my street. I'm not sure who Pentecost is, but I sure don't want to be anything like that. Pentecost literally does not mean weird. It doesn't mean speaking in tongues. It doesn't mean people with glassy eyes. Pentecost literally means 50. That's what it means. It means 50. It's 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. Jesus came out of the grave for 40 days, according to the book of Acts. For 40 days, he taught them about things pertaining to the kingdom. Then he ascended back to his father. And the Bible says that for 10 days, 120 people gathered in the upper room, an upper room in Jerusalem, and they had a prayer meeting. They waited for what had been told them would be the promise of the father to come. And that happened on the 50th day. In the Old Testament, there were three major feasts that every Israelite had to come to. It didn't matter where you... You could have been scattered into Libya. You could have been scattered into Turkey. You could have been scattered into, into Syria or any place in the world. But three times a year, every Israelite or every covenanted person was expected to make their way back to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast three times a year. The first one was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That happened in conjunction with Passover. It denoted their deliverance from Egypt. You remember when they came out of Egypt, he told them, make sure you make your bread, but don't put yeast in it because you don't have time for it to rise. You just need to make the dough without any yeast in it. It's going to be unleavened because you're going to make your journey out here quickly. So everybody come back to celebrate that. We do that at Easter. The second festival or feast is called the Feast of Weeks 
or we could call it the Feast of Pentecost. The reason it's called the Feast of Weeks is because there's seven weeks between the resurrection and one Sabbath. So that's 49 plus one's 50. Pentecost becomes 50. I'll come back and tell you what Pentecost was about in just a moment. The third festival was called the, tab the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Here's what that means. That means that every Israelite would go out, set up some really rustic sticks. They would put vines or, or some kind of, of vines or whatever they had at their house over top of it. It was sort of like in the old days, we used to have what they call brush arbors, uh, tents that were made out in the middle of the wilderness. And they would go and stay under that for seven days to remind them of what it was like to make their journey, not only through the wilderness where they had no homeland, but watch this, but to also remind us that this world is not our home. We are only passing through. So as we looked at those feasts, we celebrated, we celebrated unleavened bread and Passover at Easter. We celebrate uh, the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. But the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost has to do with two things. On the day when they celebrated first time the Feast of, of Weeks or Pentecost, two things happened. It was the first fruits of a new harvest. So every time you celebrate Pentecost, what you do is you say, God, I believe you're about to bring a new harvest into my life. In fact, they, one of the things that was a part of the Feast of Weeks was they'd have the wave offering. They would take the first part of the first fruits, the beginning of a harvest that was coming, and they would wave it back to God in an act of praise. How many of you are believing that God's about to give you a fresh harvest? A new harvest. That's what Pentecost is all about. It's about a new harvest of promises that are about to come into your life. Second thing that happened on Pentecost is that's the day that Moses came off the mountain. He went up on the mountain. Remember, he went up and was gone for 40 days. He came back down with the, tabern with the tablets of stone, where actually the Ten Commandments had been written by the finger of God in the tablets of stone. But listen to me. Ezekiel prophesied, that just like Moses got the law of God on the tablets of stone, when the day of Pentecost come in the new covenant, God was no longer going to write his law on stony tablets. He was going to put his law on fleshly hearts. So one of the things that Pentecost is about is that you and I get to have the law of God written into our consciousness. That's why we want to live Pentecost. Because I then become conscious of the fact, sometimes I'll say things, Probably nobody, nobody watching. I'll talk about Tony. Sometimes I say things to my wife and I go, mm, I shouldn't have said that right there. Sometimes I'll say stuff at a store to somebody I shouldn't say. And I went, I shouldn't have said that. Sometimes I think things. You say, why, why do you say that you felt that or thought that? That's because the law of God's been written on my heart. We live Pentecost. The other thing that Pentecost did is it released the fullness of the Holy Spirit to now be with us just like he was with Jesus. Wow. And for you and I today, this is why it's important, is that Pentecost is the birthday of the church. It doesn't matter. You may be watching this, you say, well, I'm Methodist. Well, praise the Lord. Thank God for Methodist. Well, I'm Baptist or I'm whatever. Whatever church you go to, the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter what brand or flavor you came from, all of us had the same birthday. The church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. You remember when Mount Moses came off the mountain with the tablets of stone and people had been in disobedience because they couldn't keep up with everything about honoring God? And they were they, that day, 3,000 people died. But on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, 
when the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 people didn't die. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to kill you. He comes to bring life to you. When the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. So I just believe, I feel so strong right now. God's about to visit your house so that you can begin to live Pentecost. You know, I've, after 42 years of pastoring, people always say this. I really wished I could have been a part of that early church. I would love to have been a part of that early church. And they, they read this Bible as if all these people in here were really perfect people. They glowed in the dark when they slept and they never had any issues and everything just worked out exactly right for them. Let's talk about this early church for a minute. Well, um, in Acts chapter 5, two of the leaders lied about their offering, dropped dead. Acts chapter 6, uh, they had a fight in the church, and the fight was not doctrinal. The fight was over food. Who was going to get their food first? Paul and Barnabas, you ever heard of them? They were both great apostles. They had such a falling out with each other that they split company. It was one of the first major church splits in the New Testament. You say, wow, I didn't know that all that stuff was there. No, here's what I'm saying to you. The Holy Spirit is not about making us the perfect church. He's about making us an empowered church so that we can fulfill the very mission that God had in mind when he launched the church. That's why God, watch this, God takes primitive, unsophisticated people. You say, well, I'm very sophisticated. Okay, well, he, he can use you too. But he takes primitive and unsophisticated people and he makes them the foundation of the church. You want to know why? It was so he could blow the minds of the Roman Empire who thought they were so sophisticated that they were beyond everybody else. He takes ordinary people, fills them with his spirit, and then they do incredible things. How many of you remember a movie that was released a few years ago? Well, it's really been a couple decades ago now, in the 80s. And there was one statement that came of it all the time. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. And how many of you know that sometimes that was actually leaning into things on the dark side? But I want to tell you something today. Pentecost is not some sci-fi cosmic energy. The Holy Spirit is not some entity that just is like a force that comes out of nowhere and it's mysterious. Listen, don't miss this. The Holy Spirit is a person. So when God says the force is going to be with you, he's not talking about an energy. He's talking about a person. Because Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's talking about a person, a relationship with a person. So we can't think of the Holy Spirit as an energy, a force. He's not even just signs and wonders. He's a part of the triune God. He's as much God as Jesus is. He's as much God as the Father is. But oftentimes, watch this, he's the forgotten God. He's the God who sometimes is so misunderstood and <clears throat> written off as spooky or weird. But I'll tell you how important he is. Jesus himself made this statement in Luke 24, 49. He said this, I'm giving you a mission, and that is to see the whole world changed. But don't you attempt this until you've first been endued with power from on high. In other words, don't try this in your own power. Trust my power. My Holy Spirit is coming to be with you. So my call today is I want us to live Pentecost. I want us to build a relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not going to go deep theological. I'm going to tell you three things about the Holy Spirit today. Everybody needs to know and give you practical application. I have no intention to be overly technical or to go into deep theological truths. In fact, I, my desire is to be insistently practical. I hope that you get the practicality of what I'm sharing with you. First thing I want you to know, there's three things about the Holy Spirit that are important to all of us. He's the spirit of, he's the spirit of submission. He's the spirit of supplication. And he's the spirit of substitution. He's the spirit of submission. He's the spirit of supplication. And he's the spirit of, of substitution. Let me talk about those for a minute. First of all, he's the spirit of submission. John chapter 15, verse 27 says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He, watch this, He will testify of me. He will testify of me. John 16, 14, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He won't glorify Himself. He'll glorify me. Now, how many of you know, think, think about this with me for a minute. Please don't think I'm trying to do disservice to the Scripture or to blasphemy to the Holy Spirit. But come on, let's talk about it from our context. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit? He's God. And He could have been like, you know, when's my turn? I mean, the Father had His turn at the beginning. He made all this creation that everybody gets all, all excited about how wonderful the creation is. And then the Son came. He had His turn. He got to walk on water, turn water into wine. He got to perform miracles. He had his day when the whole world wanted to know him. When do I get to have my day? But the Holy Spirit in the counsel of the Godhead understood that he had a role to play and he submitted himself to that role. Don't miss this. You have to understand something today, ladies and gentlemen, that submitting to your place in the kingdom is not to become a doormat. It's not to... to give yourself to insignificance. It's not even to be self-depreciating. Sometimes people will say, well, I don't really have anything to offer. And in, in false humility, they become very self-depreciating. But really what God just wants us to do is to recognize our role, our place in the body of Christ. See, I believe that everybody watching me today has a desire to see the purposes of God fulfilled in their life. But let me tell you when the purposes of God really make advance is when we want the purposes of God accomplished, watch this, no matter what it means to my own personal interest. When I want God's mission accomplished, no matter what it means to my own personal interest. You know, most people that I think are watching today would ask this question. This is one of the questions I've been asked more than anything else in my lifetime. Bishop, how do I know what the will of God is for my life? How do I know what the will of God is? You know the greatest way to experience the force or the power of God to live your life on a daily basis in the place that God ordained for you for? Is to regularly pray this prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. So simple, but so difficult. Not my will, but your will be done. It means this. It means, Father, I trust you. I trust you that the Holy Spirit in my life will design a pathway for my life to move forward. And then he'll give me the wisdom, the grace, and the courage 
to properly respond to everything that I face on that pathway. You know what that means? When I pray, not my will, but your will be done, that means the Holy Spirit has permission to make adjustments in my life. Anybody ever had adjustments needed to be made in your life? The Spirit formed, listen, the Spirit formed life is not some mystical, unattainable life that God dangles in front of us like a carrot, wanting us to chase after it, but knowing we can never reach it. The Spirit formed life is a life of continual process where we continue to learn how to come under the leadership of the Lordship of Christ by learning to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit whose role is to conform us to the likeness of Christ. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 12, God makes this statement. He said, those that overcome, I will make to become pillars in my house, in my temple. There'll be pillars in my temple. You know, Peter's a story that most people know from the Bible because Peter was first called Simon. The word Simon means he was blown back and forth. He was a reed blown in the wind. But he became Peter, which means a rock. So here's what God says. He said, everybody that begins to walk with my spirit, I will make them to become a pillar. The word make there means it's a continuous process. God is continually making my life. And what he's making me is a pillar. P-I-L-L-A-R, pillar. In case somebody gets hung up on my accent, a pillar. And you know what a pillar is? A pillar is something that can hold strength and has stability. I want to challenge some of you today. Your strength doesn't come through you gritting your teeth. Your strength doesn't come through you just being a tough guy or a tough woman. Your strength comes when you say, Holy Spirit, I need you. He'll make you a pillar. And you know the other thing he does? He stabilizes your life. Let me tell you something else about the call of God or the will of God in our life. How many of you know a lot of people pray, Lord, let your will be done today. But we never really take into account our vocation and the location of our lives. I know people that don't even consider whether it's the will of God for them to be doing what they're doing. I hope if you're a school teacher today, you're a school teacher by the will of God. I hope if you're a banker, you're a banker by the will of God. Because John 15, 16 says this, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So in other words, bearing fruit is not for preachers. Bearing fruit is for Christians. Everybody that's a follower of Christ. He said, I want all of you to bear fruit. I'm in, I'm in pastoral ministry today because when I prayed, Lord, your will be done, I found out that was the vocational call that was on my life. But you can, I wish I could take you back to the days in my senior year in high school, the hours I sat with my high school counselor and they looked at me and said these words, Tony, with everything you got going for you, with all the gifts you got going for you, you going to do what with your life? I, I had to, everything but the final letter to be appointed to West Point. I had scholarships to do a lot of different things. But I knew in my heart, God had a call on my life. And if I'm honest with you, I went off to a secular university because you wouldn't know why. At that moment in my life, I'm not sure I could trust God to provide the pathway that I needed or to give me the courage to walk it. But I had a major encounter with God in Oldham University. 
and went to a church that taught me that the Holy Spirit comes to empower you to live out the plan of God. I wonder how many parents are listening to me today. How many times have you tried because of aspirations to determine what your kids should be rather than putting them on the altar and saying, Lord, I want the spirit of submission. The Holy Spirit submitted to the plan of God. I want to make sure my family submits to the plan of God. What's your will for our life? Second thing he said is this. He's the spirit of supplication. I only got a couple of minutes, so let's go real quickly. The spirit of supplication. We all know Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Most people don't know Romans 8, 26 and 27. All things work together because verse 26 and 27 says this. When I don't know how to pray as I ought to, the Holy Spirit prays through me with utterances I don't even understand sometimes. But watch this. He prays according to the will of God. And he knows that when we pray according to the will of God, then all things work together. The word supplication actually has the same root word as the word binding, when we talk about binding and loosening. So in other words, you need to recognize something. The Holy Spirit is a supplicator because he realizes that there's a spiritual struggle and an opposition that's going to come to every believer's life. And you're going to need the power of the Spirit to know how to make advance in your lifetime. Jesus said this, if you want to tear down a stronghold, you got to first bind the strong man that's running the stronghold. Ephesians 6 says this, when you enter into spiritual warfare, you have to recognize that you have to pray with all prayer and all supplication in the spirit. That's how you do warfare. Don't stand up in the kitchen and fight. Go to your prayer closet and let the spirit of supplication begin to make advance through you. Here's what I want you to know. There are strong men that seek to control families. Some of you, your family has been under the control of a strong man for a long time. He controls cities, nations. But the advance of the kingdom is primarily done through spirit-empowered prayer. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of supplication. You know, we say we want to witness. I want to witness. I'd like to give. And you know, some people, when they witness, they're just cavalier. They sort of like belly up here, Bubba. I want to tell you the good news. And we start through the whole good news thing. You know, I'm, well, what's, what's the good news? Well, the good news is in Romans chapter 3, all sin comes short of the glory of God. Okay. Any other good news? Yep. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6. How many of you know the good news is piling up everywhere? What are you talking about? Here's what we have to know is that the thing that is controlling people that's making them blind to the gospel has to be pulled off of them through prayer and supplication. Once we have taken our position in prayer, then our love and lifestyle earns us the right to be heard. I believe there's an advance coming to the gate. There's an advance coming to the gate. And that's why the Lord said to me, before you invite the people back in the building, invite them to the altar. So we're getting ready to have a major prayer encounter before we ever come back into this facility. Because I'm inviting you to allow the spirit of supplication where we take authority in the spirit realm and say, my family, my business, my life is going to move at a different dimension than it's moved before. You know what? I could sing a song about what I think is happening at the gate. It's all we've only just begun. I think that's what it's going to be like. Here's the last thing and I'm done. He's the spirit of substitution. Do you know what? Jesus said another comforter 
is coming. Another one. He didn't say another one different from me. He said he's like me. He's just another one. Same thing. He's God, but he's not me, but he's like me. In other words, everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me closely. I believe that God says that we've been called to go to nations, to go to neighborhoods, to go to friends. We've been commanded to go into every nation, every culture, every generation. I remember when God spoke to me about 10 years ago and he said, I want you to focus on the continent of Europe. I'm thinking, God, how can I go to Europe? I'm in Oklahoma City. But I recognize something. If the Holy Spirit can come as a substitute for Jesus, how many of you know through my partnership with other people in the kingdom, I can see the kingdom advance when I make partnership with them? That's what it means to operate in the spirit of substitution. So I started working with guys all over, all over Europe and a nation is being reached for the glory of God. So I get ready to go. Listen. God wants to do something supernatural in your life, but I want you to open your heart to the force of Pentecost. I want you to open yourself to the power that is yours in Jesus' name. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for your Holy Spirit to touch people today right where they are. Right where they are in Jesus' name.